What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to doers, creators, artists, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs, people in and around the world that are in their thing, they're on their vibe, they're they're disrupting status quo, they're doing things differently, and every week I bring on guests that are very much just like you at various different phases of their first or their 50th venture. Uh, they take on the world just like you do, and they are unapologetic about it. They're constantly, you know, pushing their own boundaries and their own comfort zones. And uh, it's also because I say, you know, we don't we don't glamorize or glorify end success. I will drill that in every single episode if I have to, and I will, <laughs> because the at the end of the day, it's what's going on in the middle, right? That is actually where all the good stuff is actually happening. And you also see that it doesn't really matter where somebody is in whatever phase they're in. They're also, you know, they're learning really great things and they're they're seeing very important themes that I feel like all of you could easily learn as well as probably identify with as you go through it as well, too. So I'm, I'm very appreciative to have our guests that come on. I'm very appreciative for all of our listeners. We have been growing a little bit faster lately. Uh, I've said that on the last few podcasts, so I'm very grateful for that. I just wanted to thank each and every one of you that listen. For those of you that are a little bit newer, I'm Matt Gottesman. Uh, founder of a couple different uh, brands and companies, partner on about two or three others. Uh, but you can get more information at Matt Gottesman on Instagram or at HDF Magazine on Instagram. That where we talk a little bit more about the intersection of uh, creativity, culture, and entrepreneurship. And of course, at Hustle Sold Separately. And uh, and please keep the ratings and reviews coming in. I'm, I'm greatly appreciated of that. And we have another great episode. We're going to be actually talking about obtaining unusual results. Uh, good ones, of course, but getting those those unique results that um, you know are different than everybody else, based on the fact that a lot of times, and, and let me let me clarify, a lot of times you see somebody run with really great ideas. It's now in the market. You see a bunch of other people say that's the idea we're going to run with. Great. I have not subscribed to that methodology throughout much of my life. It has also taken uh, on my side a couple of things a little bit longer here and there, but it's only because I don't believe in doing the same thing as everybody else, because then you're playing very, in a, for me, in a very saturated way versus how can I make something very unique and different in a, in a way that solves a need or desire for the very intended audience that I'm looking to get this in product or service in the hands of and add that value to them in a way that also has long-term lasting sustainability as a brand and can also be flexible as it grows and adapt to new environments or adapt to new needs, right? Well, I have a very specific, uh, special guest today, George Zhang, who is the co-founder and CEO of Moonfish and an incredible background. Uh, he's, uh, as I mentioned, um, the, the co-founder and CEO, uh, but he's also um, not joined with us, but you know, he gave a quick shout out before we got on the show to CDO, his CTO, Craig Campbell. They both met while working at Facebook. All right. It seems like we've had a few Facebookers on here, and I love when they come on the show because they get to talk about, hey, we're out of the cage and we're building something very unique. Uh, so they started Moonfish to offer consumers access to better travel deals without having to spend countless hours scanning the internet. 
Um, you guys know how I feel about this. I have a few tools, but I will now be using Moonfish. So I'm going to talk to, I want to, I want to learn more from George with what they've done here. Uh, and he was previously an analyst at Goldman Sachs, a senior associate at McKinsey and company went on to be co-founder and head of sales for Southern China group on, and before heading to Facebook as business operations intern in 2012, then would become product lead for Facebook and is now building Moonfish. As I, as I mentioned, got an MBA from Wharton and an AB from Princeton. This man is serious. This man is, is when I see this background, uh, I was just elated because, uh, it, it takes a lot of dedication uh, and going outside your comfort zones to do all of these things. So George, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Hey Matt, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. What an incredible background. I, and you know, and I told you before the show started to first question's always the same. It's how did we get here? You know, what, what was going on, uh, that led up to Moonfish? that, that transition of the, you can go as far back as you'd like, of course, cause we'd love to hear about your background, uh, for the context of this unusual ideas, thinking processes and whatnot, um, and being different. Uh, and then, of course, leading up to Moonfish, would love to hear more about the that and you know how that venture was created. Sure, um, I can go back to uh, where I was born. I was born in China, uh, but I grew up in Mississippi, which is obviously very, very different. About as different from China as you can be. Right. Uh, <laughs> before going to college in the Northeast and working in finance and consulting in, in New York and Asia, um, and when I worked in finance and consulting, I, I always felt like I didn't quite fit it. I didn't realize this for a long period of time, but I was looking for product market fit for myself as a person. Mm. And something I come to realize over time that I believe in product market fit for people as well as for products. And I was, I've always been kind of like a hacker to do things in different ways. And I, I've always not understood this idea of just like sticking with doing the usual thing in the usual way. Um, so over time I developed this kind of thesis in my own head that in order to obtain unusually, unusually good results, like you said, you have to do either unusual things or the usual things in an unusual way. Mm -hmm. um, the corollary of that is if you just do the usual thing in the usual way, you'll get the usual results. So I, I saw this when I was working finance consulting. I, I kept trying to do things in different ways and people kept kind of asking me, why are you kind of like uh, trying to do things differently? The usual way works. Um, before I stumbled upon entrepreneurship and being able to do things like um, one of the things I actually done, did in Asia before coming to get my, get my MBA was actually launching Groupon in China. Uh, when I was getting my MBA, one of the unusual things I did is actually, I did basically my entire semester's worth of work in the first week. <laughs> and while I was getting my MBA, I actually participated in a full-time accelerator, um, 46 hour, 60 hours a week while a full-time student and launched a healthcare technology company, took it through the accelerator, raised money, ended up selling it to a, a subsidiary of Cardinal Health before actually coming to Facebook. And even while, while at Facebook, um, after doing my day job, I actually started two cash flow positive businesses, one which was like a home loan lead generation business, and the other which was like a cryptocurrency multi-exchange trading platform. Again, applying the same theory, right? You can't just be doing the usual thing the usual way. You have to be out there learning new things, trying new things, talking to people, building new things. Um, and even after Facebook, um, when, when Craig and I actually started working on Moonfish, we had applied a lot of the same principles. We actually, we, we both have a lot of different things that we've thought about building. We started off with a list of 118 different ideas. So we use a lot of unusual techniques to narrow from 118 different ideas to about the top 20, and then did things to build and test the top 20 to, to we narrowed down to the top 10, then spoke to hundreds of people to narrow it down from the top 10 to the top one. 
And that one, like you said, is is Moonfish. And we're super jazzed about it because it, it's kind of like an automated travel agent that searches across like millions of routes to help you find personalized flights set up to 90, 95% off. And that that in itself was kind of like an unusual idea from our original list of 118. So, you know, in, in summary, like uh, done a lot of unusual things over the years and, uh, uh, you know, super happy to share some of the things we've seen and learned. Yeah, I, I love everything you were saying, you know, um, especially the tinkering with things. I, I agree. I like uh, taking things apart and putting them together well, with the Internet. With, for me, it's the Internet and not so much uh, in, in the physical realm. Um, but um, so I, I, I really that really resonated, especially um, like lead gen. I, um, you know, I spent the last two and a half years dissecting um, the entire like funnel process, basically um, sales funnels, like all like to complete CX. Like, how does the exact like how do you have? such a relationship with them at every single touch point in a matter of, you know, so you're really doing right by the, the, uh, the end user, you know, something else that I like that you said too, when you guys were coming up with Moonfish is that you started very wide, like, Hey, let's look at a, a very broad scope of, of let, let's just dump everything that we're thinking of onto paper and then let's start narrowing it and what resonates with us. And then in doing so, once you really honed it on where you're going to go with Moonfish, um, I, or even right before the fact that you were asking people, um, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? I'm like, just go ask the people you tend to help that will literally solve <laughs> much of <laughs> what you're looking to do. And then just ask yourself what's now missing from how they're normally getting it. And then that's where you can basically go be very different in the process of giving it to them, right. To, to help them. Um, plus it'll also ask, it'll help you realize whether or not that that's something you want to do <laughs> still right um, 100%, great. 100% so, great. so with with moonfish what did you learn uh first of all for everybody that's listening talk through what moonfish is and then also what did you learn when you were talking to all of these people about what was missing because the travel sector is huge like that's a big that's a behemoth to walk into um and to disrupt or at least find your niche find your footing but i I guess nowadays i feel like everything is huge so um (laughs) but i'd love to i'd love to i'd love to hear you know the both the the fuller concept of moonfish which i already get but i want the audience to know and then what you found out from the audience that you were interviewing yeah that a lot of really great questions um one of the things i think about when we were looking at what to work on next is everyone talks about this idea of product market fit Mm -hmm. um but I think there's a lot more to the story than just product market fit. I also think about uh, founder market fit, right? For example, I would not go start a company in nuclear power just because I'm, I'm not smart enough to be a nuclear scientist. And then, you know, a lot of the background that, that is there is like not, not a background that I have. I think about um, product channel fit, right? When you build a product, it's got to work within channels that you understand and you're able to get the product out there because if you build a great product but it's not able to get distribution, there's like no, there's no way to actually get the product in the hands of users. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think about product business model fit because there's plenty of products that are great products that people love and that still, um, still are used, but because they're not able to find a really good business model that fits the product itself, it ends up being the case that the, the product and the company can't stand on its own two feet. And I always see that that is a problem. And there, are many products in many industries, education being a very common one, where there's not that many good business models that can make the product work. Um, so when we were thinking about working on Moonfish and entering travel, these are all things that we had in mind. So for example, the founder market fit uh, question. So I had worked on personalized ads, dynamic ads for things like travel, real estate, entertainment, media, financial services. So in many different ways, kind of what Moonfish is, 
is a organic version of an advertising version of a product that had already investigated very deeply. Um, my co-founder Craig, which we mentioned earlier, he had worked on search engines at Facebook. So a lot of what Moonfish does, if you think about it, is search and find the right deal for you and make sure that we're able to find the best one that's personalized for you specifically. So it's related to a search problem. And given my ad tech background, it gave me a lot of insights in terms of how to get the, the product in front of people. So that's kind of answers the, uh, the, the distribution question. And then we have also some pretty interesting ideas around both uh, how to build the product as well as um, how to monetize the product. So for example, we talked a little bit about how do you build a product that, that is unusually good or that solves problems and, and especially travel being a very crowded marketplace. And the way that we've approached it, one is um, having worked at places like Groupon, I've seen this process of manually going out there and trying to find a really great deal. And even though Groupon was, I think at the time, the fastest business to a billion dollars in revenue, it was never very profitable. Right. <laughs> so if you look at the Groupon's financial statements, um, the profitability is like less than, I believe at this time, even like less than 5% of revenues. Um, and the reason because is, as I saw this firsthand, helping launch Groupon in China, is that if you ended up getting Groupon deal, I had to hire a salesperson to actually be able to go out there, knock on a door of like a local cafe or a local restaurant and be able to ask the restaurant owner to help give you a deal. And that process of hiring that salesperson to go out there is like very, very difficult to do. Um, but by taking a big data approach to actually creating deals in the travel sector, we're able to programmatically find these, call it mispricings and flights and, and for deals, and be able to create this without the manual overhead that you would normally have to do in, in a Groupon or another example is a travel zoo in these traditional deal-based products. Um, and given my, my background doing like personalized ads at Facebook, we make sure we're able to do depersonalization for the deals as well. Um, whereas Matt, maybe you want to go on a trip to, maybe you're a big skier, right? Maybe you want to go on a trip to Tahoe, or maybe you want to go to Japan to ski. Um, maybe I'm a beach kind of person. Maybe I want to go to Phuket, or maybe I want to go to Puerto Rico. Being able to do depersonalization is an additional way that we've thought about breaking into the travel sector in a, using an approach that hasn't been done before. And lastly, if you think about what Moonfish is, Moonfish is a freemium subscription. So the, the, the established, um, industry standards that in travel, you only monetize through commissions. So taking a subscription, almost like a SaaS or membership way of doing travel is another way that we're thinking about breaking the travel industry in a different way. I love it. Uh, all of it. Uh, and it's, well, you've hit up in pretty much every area from, uh, I actually was marking this all down, founder market fit, product channel fit, product business model fit, uh, which, and I love the fact that you were talking about distribution as well too. Um, distribution became something that was, uh, became very important to me about seven years ago. I realized like the power of when you understand where you're distributing through and the relationships you have in every channel, very specific to um, your desires, needs, wants, you know, the, the areas that you play in, um, <laughs> the greater the relationships down the road when you start to distribute products and services. But one of the things I, I wanted to ask you, um, so, it sounds like Moonfish is kind of taking up. I, I get you're not Skyscanner and you're not Scott's Cheap Flights. Yep. But uh, because I feel like you're taking it to a whole new level, um, you know, 
algorithmically, if you will, <laughs> of we're going to get very personalized in understanding your behaviors, your wants, your desires, the things that you want that make sense for you for travel, which that I think is awesome because I haven't seen that out there. Is the goal then, um, from a monetization standpoint, almost like, hey, we'll, we'll stay freemium, just like Scott Cheap Flight. Like, we're going to, we'll, we'll, we're here, but if you want to go to the next level, um, you know, we're going to keep giving you great value. You can use any of these deals that we find for you. Um, but um, is there a use case for, you know, hey, however, to get a little bit more, um, you know, personalized with your searches, um, you know, have like a little simple $8 a month subscription or something like that. Does, is there a use case for that? And you're finding, I'm sure people would, I would pay for it all day long, but. Yeah. Are you yeah. I think a lot about this. Um, I think products in the digital world oftentimes echo products in the analog world. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And what I mean by that is I'm, I'm actually a travel agent as well. Um, so, uh, you know, licensed travel agent, I actually go and, um, uh, actually help my friends and my family members with their booking for vacations or for trips they, they want to take. And the way I think about it is that relationship between a travel agent and a person who's trying to book a trip is personal. And there's back and forth in terms of exchanging information for me to understand what is a good trip for, for let's say you, Matt, right? For example, you might be a person that um, wants to go to a specific destination. Maybe you only travel, want to travel in a certain point, a uh, certain time, right? Maybe you only want to travel in the summer, or maybe you only want to go to Europe in December or January, right? Um, being able to take that information back and use it to really help find something that feels special for you is really important. And that's where I, I see the personalization aspect com- coming in. You mentioned Skyscanner. You mentioned um, Scotts, you mentioned there's like a couple other travel services out there, but I think a real magical experience is where you can make this whole entire process feels like, feel like you have a relationship with Moonfish right. and Moonfish is taking your preference in, in, in terms of recommending a deal. And if you go on Moonfish right now today, you see that we're able to start taking in some preferences with regards to when you want to travel and where you want to travel. But we're also building in over time the ability to say, I don't want low cost carriers, discount carriers. I want to have certain airlines. I want to I have a strong preference for direct flights or one-stop flights. And using all of that as part of the recommendations we give when we're looking for for flights or for deals for people. I love it. And and that's exactly because for me, and I will at least I'll speak for me as a as maybe one of your avatars, but <laughs> is that's what's missing, right? Because I I, I don't get me wrong, I love um being able to see uh through something like Skyscanner, like what's you know, what's right now. I love Scotch flights and sort of like, hey, here's some deals and you know, in case they come up great but you know there it's just an aggregation tool at that point for me of like hey here's what we found right now and it's like well yeah but i might want to plan ahead of time and i might want to go in these certain dates and i might want to only use these certain carriers and i might only want to go by this certain type of mode of transportation and i might actually be interested in these things in the future if you could also find those for me so i like the fact that you're taking that to a whole uh unusual way if you will <laughs> as you say, you know, um, to, to offering it to me differently, because I think a lot of because travel is also a personal experience. And I think if we if we remove that, um, that personal part, and we just kind of like, fall in line with like, this is this is the deal Are you taking it and you're like, well, hold up a second, like you just gave it to me like a day ago. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I love what you're doing with it. Um, and what 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 are you noticing so far um, from some of the feedback from some of the people that have, have used the service? Yeah. Um, it's super interesting because one of the things that I believe strongly in is in talking a lot of your, your users and at this point we've done, 
I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of user interviews. And um, what I've been consistently impressed by is um, kind of like the different sort of reasons people travel, the different avatars, if you will, are so varied, right? Some people really only just want to travel from, you know, one location to another location within a fixed time. But people are oftentimes more flexible than even they they may be able to sort of, they may sort of immediately think of. So um, we were helping a gentleman in, in the Arizona region actually with booking a flight for himself and his, his wife. Um, and they had initially thought about going from Phoenix area to actually France uh, around May or June. I think they were originally looking at Paris. But one of the things that we talked to them about uh, again, as part of the interview is, hey, would you instead of think uh, just thinking about going from Phoenix to Paris in May, would you be open to thinking about going from Phoenix to Paris around maybe like second half of April or May or first half of June? And if you think about um, going from Phoenix to France during that period of time, would you be open to uh, also not only going to fly to, to, to Paris, but any of the other airports in France? Um and the amazing thing is that if you're able to take this information from people and use it as part of your recommendations for them, you can find them amazing deals because maybe there's a, you know, during May is a very, very popular season to go to go to France. Maybe there's like a, only like a 30% off deal or so that you, you, you're able to find. But maybe if you go in late April, if you open up that f- flexibility and you use data to be able to pinpoint when are the most attractive times to, to fly, you can find deals that are like instead of 20, 30% off, that are 60% off, right? And maybe instead of flying into to France, you fly to the number two or number three largest airport in the country, you're able to go from um, 60% off to 70% off. And I think we found this gentleman a flight that's 70% off, but it's being able to take this information from this, this gentleman as well as being able to run those permutations, right? Let me run permutations from phoenix to all the airports in france and let me run it across not only from may 1st to may 8th let me run it from every permutation from april to all the dates in april to may to all the dates in may to june to all the dates in june and if you do it that way a big data way to travel you can find people something really special let me tell you why this is really resonating well there's a lot of reasons why this is really resonating with me because i again i'm your exact avatar so i've been waiting i want to go to buenos aires right and um i have a very close friend from mba school down there he and his wife keep saying hey come visit and i know i also had some some family hiccups this year um so uh that i needed my my attending to but um but i look up so many i i wait to find really good um, flights on it because justifying a $1,500 flight when I'm seeing Hong Kong for 500 on Scott's G flights, you know, yeah. and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not like, no, no. So I know physically on the marketplace, there's a lot of people like me that are like, I won't do that until I know I'm getting something similar to all this other stuff that I'm seeing through, you know, whatever, um, alert system that I would have got set up. Uh, second, the fact that you – I was just looking on the site, $30 a year for this service. I mean, I know you have a free version, by the way. I know you have a free version, so anybody listening. Yep. But, I, but $30 a year, and then I know you also saw that first class one for 250 a year. Both are justified for the amount of money <laughs> that you would save me yeah. getting to Buenos Aires. So I'm like, I'm just looking at that. And, and this is actually leading me up to my question. What is going on with, like, why, why do deals exist when they exist? And, like, how do they – 
I think it's great that there's a service to find them because I know that they're using a whole other set of algorithms. When I say they, <laughs> they is always the, you know, the system. <laughs> no, they <laughs> is like, you know, the airports and the, you know, the tours and the, you know, like anything, right? Um, but they do these, like, I know that they're changing their price fluctuations based on capacity and a bunch of other, you know, really great, uh, you know, tools that they've used from from accounting practices mixed with some tech <laughs> in there. We won't go into all those those uh, details, but wh- how are you? What's going on in the travel that these deals do exist? Number one and number two. Um, can I get to Buenos Aires? <laughs> <laughs> hey, definitely happy to help you out with your with your next trip as well. Um, to your question about why do flight prices fluctuate so much? That's an excellent question. At one point. We saw flights from Florida to, to Paris to, to France round trip for $30. And when I saw that, my jaw dropped because I was like, man, that's crazy. Right. Um, there's so many different reasons for this. But I think the fundamental different uh, the fundamental reasons because when you have um, many fair classes, and it's not just economy, economy basic, business, or first, there's like actually subclasses within, say, even economy, right? When you have many different sort of subclasses and you have supply demand dynamics within one particular um, plane or one particular route, uh, and you add in the complexity of not only that one plane, that one flight, but also other carriers and other um, other other competitors as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it all results in a messy dynamic uh, that is not optimized because there's so many different factors that are, that are being introduced. For example, at one point in time, we saw that flights to China mm-hmm. were super super cheap. They were like 70, 80% off of what they what they should have been. And one of the things we realized at that point in time was that it looked like the Chinese carriers were all discounting the flights to China probably to compete for market share, right? That's one example of something that can happen. You can have um, times when people are uh, – when flights haven't been booked and if the airline doesn't actually fill seats in a certain class, then basically they're just losing money on those seats. So that supply-demand dynamic, again, against right. every single fare class matters a lot. Um, there have been times when there have been mistake fares. So again, like that that flight from Florida to France round trip for 30 bucks, I'm pretty sure it was a mistake fare because, come on, $30 round trip? That's right. crazy, right? Right. <laughs> um, and those are, those are, many of those deals are very, very time sensitive. So being able to have something that is able to constantly search for those really great deals, uh, validate that they're still live. Right, right. That, that they haven't expired, and then let people know when that happened becomes really important. Well, and you're taking out the work of, of people like me who are like you know using so many different tools and staying up on it as much, and I'll never stay up on it the way machine learning can, <laughs> or or in having a system like you guys have. Uh, but then you're also you know it's you're not a threat to any of these um, these you know airlines and other um, travel outlets because you're like look you're having a fire sale you just you got this thing you want rid of it you know it's got one seat left five seats left got it we're gonna take care of that for you because through our engine and all of our 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 user database and customers um you know somebody's gonna pick those up so it's cool because you represent the people (laughs) but you're a win for the travel industry so they don't find you threatening in any way like oh man we gotta adjust our pricing now (laughs) exactly you know exactly that's phenomenal. Uh, and uh, yeah, because I, you're right. Like I, when I see these, you know, get, get this uh, for as low as $190. I'm like, that's normally a $1,500, you know, round trip. Like <laughs> how, what, where does that come from? You know? So, 
Uh, and you know, the other thing too, I also, I wanted to give you props. The fact that you, um, became a licensed travel or licensed or you got certified or however with, as a travel agent or, you know, through a service, I think that's, that's great in terms of like really knowing and understanding like, Hey, let me understand how my, how my, um, industry works from a standpoint of booking travel. <laughs> you know, I, I would think it helps even more so for build for the use case for, for your service. Correct. I mean, how's that been? Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree, right? Like, uh, I thought that that I had empathy for how people book vacations. But when I had to book a vacation for my mom, and for my my college buddies, then I was like, Oh, man, I can see how difficult it can be. I can see how much work can go into not only planning a trip, but also like booking um, flights, booking hotels, booking experience experiences and tours, understanding why what are all the different reasons a person would want to travel? And how you have to craft different kinds of packages for different people. So, for example, in the in the travel agent sort of industry, now more and more, more we call, call ourselves like travel consultants. Um, there are different folks who just specialize on, say, adventure travel, right? Or folks who just specialize on honeymoon trips. And even within each one of these uh, sort of like sub-specializations within the travel consultant sort of industry, um, you have like these different tips and tricks and ways you think about crafting the package. And I just had no idea about any of this before actually becoming a travel agent or travel consultant myself. So, so well needed. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, what are, what are some of the statistics looking like on travel right now? Because I know we had the, the baby boomer generation were... Uh, as more and more retire-ish, retiring is, an, uh, is a loose word now, but um, <laughs> as more and more we're getting older, they were, they were traveling more. But then you're also finding that the younger millennial generation is all about experiences. They're traveling and they're doing new different types of destinations. I'd love to, I'd love for you to share some of like the travel statistics you're seeing right now. Like how much is it increasing? What's, what's happening? Where, you know, I, I just, what did I saw? Um, I saw uh, on a podcast, a video podcast the other day that um, New York used to be the, uh, was number 10 or it was in the top 10. I think it was number 10 though for the top 10 destinations in the world to travel to. It now has been knocked out. In fact, there's no American cities in the top 10, but that's a conversation for a different, different time. But um, so, but there's been a, a shift. You're seeing a lot of uh, the Asian countries uh, that are like occupying much of the top 10 and it's a shift in terms of where people are going. I'd love to just, you to just give a rundown of what's, what's happening in travel right now. Sure. Um, man, so much. Happy to talk about both kind of what we see in terms of demographics as well as like yes. uh, locations that people are traveling in. But what is fascinating is you're exactly right. The millennial generation ended up being um, is the generation with the most travel interests in any generation in history. So even starting off, we were looking at some of the data. We were like, wow. People in the millennial generation really want to travel. We saw a lot of this at, at Facebook too, in terms of millennials just really, really valuing experiences over over things, right? So early on, we saw that millennials wanted to travel more. We saw that millennials um, uh, had more time planned for travel, if you will, like within a year, in terms of like taking more time off to travel. We saw that there was like a higher propensity for them to actually want to take more spontaneous forms of travel. And we also saw that uh, millennials were more price sensitive to great deals. Yep. Right. So all of those things really resonated with with both us. I mean, we're millennials as well. We're in the in the in the sort of demographic of people who would use Moonfish. Yep. And we also we also care a lot about really great deals. And um, what we saw from all of this is that uh, from from the numbers of actual people using Moonfish, is there's a big group of millennials. It ends up being something like 60, 70 percent of the user base is like our millennials. 
But what was surprising to me, which I didn't anticipate before, about 30 to 40 percent of the users were actually people who are a little bit older, um, oftentimes retired empty nesters who are like, kids are out of the house. I don't have to work about worry about work anymore. I can travel the world and just have fun and see all the, these places I didn't think about traveling before. And that was a shock to us because we didn't actually expect a lot of these people to want to use Moonfish. But when we went through the numbers and we did more user inter interviews, we were like, okay, that makes sense. If we were retired, one of the top things we want to do is travel more as well. Mm. You know, it's, well, it's what was interesting. I was taking some notes when you were talking about. So first you've got the, the millennial generation. Uh, and you're right. We do make more time for that, <laughs> for all of that, you know, um, for for traveling, for experience and things like that. What was interesting is that they're the highest for um, wanting to travel. But you're right. Affordability is probably one of their like number one, sort of the number one concerns, um, you know, because they're 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 wanting to make it work one way or another. And so, I mean, Moonfish is a perfect example for, of like, oh, hey. You want to travel? We got the deals. Like, here's how it's going to go down. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a lot of ways. Um, and then, but it, but it's interesting. I like the fact that um, older generations, like the boomers, um, that are, you know, or the empty nesters, saying like, "Hey, yeah, we want to travel the world too." But you know, we don't have to. We don't have to do it on like the price points that like we were taught. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, like we we can we can change as well too. Where where are some like where where are you noticing a lot of people? some of the shifts of some of the new places that you're seeing kind of arise more and where people are wanting to go? Yeah, I, it's a really great question. I actually just pulled some of this data. Of course. Um, <laughs> we, we end up having like this data and it varies a lot on a city by city basis, right? So I think about like each city having its own sort of characteristics in terms of where people want to travel, right? So I just looked in, in Philly and on the East Coast and I just did a quick, quick query. It looks like, um, let's take Philly. Uh, around 80% or so of the top destinations people end up wanting to go are international. And about 20, 30%, at least on Moonfish, end up being domestic. Wow. Um, and I guess this makes a ton of sense for yep. Philly, but a lot of the places people want to go are actually in Europe. So I'm seeing you know, people wanting to go to Rome, Madrid, Paris, Barcelona, Frankfurt. Uh, I see London, Dublin on here. And then um, in the States, a lot of people wanting to go to L.A., I mean, LA is a wonderful city. Um, Vegas, that's, I guess, not too surprising in terms of like a fun city in the States, in terms of a domestic location to go in. And I see a lot of people wanting to go to Puerto Rico as well, which makes sense if it's like, you know, cold weather and you want to get away for, for a bit and wanting to go to someplace with a, with a beach, um, Puerto Rico is a wonderful place to go. Are, now, are, is this service, is this only offered for uh, US residents or is this for anybody worldwide? Yeah, so... Right now, it's primarily a U.S. service. So we, right. we are fully launched in four broader metro areas, but we're in the process of rolling out to about 20, 20 metro areas. So um, it's, it's U.S. for now, but uh, I'd say it will go from U.S. to probably all of North America sometimes in, sometime in the next six months. That's, that's amazing. Well, yeah, you know, and as, as um, the deals continue to flow, which they will, <laughs> but uh, as uh, more people – you know, I feel like more people are coming into this. There's a lot of work you do it mentality um, because I can't do everything, but um, needing services that are really looking out for their bottom line as well, too. Right. You know, and that's, yeah. you know, and the data there supports that. Um, what else have you learned from, you know, some of the audience that's used it so far? What's what's like the uh, did, 
did somebody did you say somebody took like a thirty dollar flight or what's some of the biggest um <laughs> drastic deals that you've seen that have that have taken place where normally you'd be like you know two grand and they got a flight for like sixty dollars yeah and anything yeah. fun in there that you found yeah I mean uh difference from deals in different places so one of the things that that's pretty crazy is that um my wife and I have been talking about going to Italy for for years. We we're just like, man, it'd be great to go to Italy. Let's go to Italy. Italy's wonderful. It's got pasta. It's got great food. Um, we never gotten around to doing it, and every time we we looked in the booking tickets from the Bay Area, it ended up being something like nine hundred dollars right. or so, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, like not crazy, but not not cheap either. Right. Um, but we we actually use Moonfish for our own travel, and in the sort of using Moonfish. We, we were able to find flights and deals going from the Bay Area to Italy round trip for about $300. Wow. Oof. Yeah. Which 66, is 66% and, off. Oof. Yeah. Which is across both of us is saving like, you know, $1,200 or so. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this is, as an entrepreneur, you, you want to make sure that your, uh, your, your cash flow sensitive, your burn sensitive. Absolutely. So I, I definitely hate overpaying for flights. So I was really, really happy that. We're able to find, you know, flights to Italy that are much cheaper than they, they used to be. And um, on the East Coast, because Philly was our first city that we launched in, um, I had seen flights from Philly to Madrid to Barcelona for like $200 or so round trip, mm-hmm. um, which is much, much cheaper than it, than it usually is. So we've seen some really, really great deals from, from, from both the Bay Area, from Philly, other places on the East Coast to, to Europe for 60, 70, 80% off. Um, at times it goes even a little bit higher, like 80, 80 to 90% off. But, uh, you know, we're, we've been able to consistently find stuff in the 60, 70, 80% off range. And out of Phoenix as well too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Phoenix as well. You know, right, right. Like right where I'm at right here in Scottsdale. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I, I love every, everything about this is, is phenomenal. So I'll, I'll be talking to you about this when we get off here, but, um, but I also, you know, your, what what propelled you know when we go back to this this idea of like let's do something unusual let let's think about this use case differently um you know what were some of the things that you were finding the same old same old in travel that you're like you know what um these are the problems like the, these are the things that everybody keeps doing and everybody keeps kind of trying to solve but it's the same thing over and over again that you're like we need to do something differently within it yeah um i'd say a bunch of different things one is um one of the things I think about is when I was at Groupon, I saw that we created all these, these deals manually with salespeople, right? Or with people like finding, figuring out these deals. And I, I always thought that was kind of crazy um, because, you know, it's, it's great to be able to actually go and knock on a restaurant and say, hey, give me a, a deal off. But I always wish at that point in time, I was like, man, I wish a computer could do this for me. I wish I could just like somehow automatically, programmatically generate these. Um, and when we looked at travel and one of the, I guess, like the big players in the travel space for, for deals is this company called TravelZoo. It's an older company. It's been around for a while. Um, and when I, when I looked them up, I, I saw that they were doing, I believe, like a very similar thing in terms of like hiring salespeople to try and create these deals. So one of the first things that we thought about coming from like a data science and engineering, like a personalization ad tech kind of background is, hey, why not? Think about creating these deals, but in, a, in an unusual way, using engineering instead of people, right? Um, because if you do that, you can create several hundred times, several thousand times as many good as many deals, and you can make them much better because you can find that deal that you otherwise would have to spend 100 hours to find, 
and you can do statistics on them, data science on them, and make sure it's in the top 1% or 0.1%, and you can exclude everything that's bad, and you can say, hey, exclude low-cost carriers, exclude certain airlines I don't care about, um, and you can apply a lot of the, the personalized ads methodology to personalize it for format, for places he wants to go, or for his preferences for the kind of airlines. And we, we always thought that using that approach would be so much better. And if you did that approach for flights, you could do it for accommodations, hotels, experiences, everything down downstream of just flights. And in many different ways, that brings it back to the experiences I've had as a travel agent planning trips for people. Because, you know, when you start off finding a 60, 70% off, uh, you know, deal for flights, you, you naturally want to help people with their hotels and accommodations and with their experiences as well. So we just thought that using... The, the processing power of computing would be much a much much better way of doing that. Amen. I couldn't agree more. As so long as your uh, my phone is not listening to me, and then it makes a recommendation to you at Moonfish. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Matt was talking about Phuket. You know, uh, he never actually put that criteria in, but he, we at Facebook feel like you know we might as well put Phuket on his uh, sponsored ad list because he was talking <laughs> about dogs and getting dog food. No, I, um, I I I I rant, but you know, look. The ads have gotten pretty. Uh... <laughs> yeah, um, is... yeah. There's a there's a lot of engineering power to make the ad systems at Facebook good, yes. and 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 we had the saying that you know we want the ads to feel as like natural or as good as organic. For right. example, um, I'm not sure if you're you're a gamer, but I, I love video games, and one of the things that is cool to me is that if I see an ad on Facebook for let's say a video game, or you know I love travel for travel to a specific place that gets me more excited than a generic ad for, let's say, I don't know, a lawnmower or something, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. And be, being able to do that well, I think has, has always been part of the ethos of that, of, of, of doing ads at Facebook. No, I, you know, I completely agree. Um, and I mean, you can be, you can debunk this myth. Although I, I was, uh, I was in a meeting a few weeks back um, with a, a company just talking, they wanted to see if I wanted to consult with them. And I was talking kind of about, about, personalization and ads and all of this fun stuff and they're like they just weren't having it and i said all right well before we leave can i see your phone real quick the gentleman said said sure i'm like dogs dogs you need to get dogs i'm thinking about getting a dog I want to buy dog food where do i get dog food and i went on this tangent i'm like call me back tomorrow and tell me how how your ads look sure enough he called me the next day and he said why are dogs showing up on my facebook feed i'm like you tell me <laughs> and we're gonna leave it at that <laughs> but that's all i'm saying i mean yeah. again because the app is open on his phone but i'm just saying that i find that you know that's an interesting it's an interesting concept that's all i'm saying yeah. i will say one thing and, and i can't speak for facebook i'm no longer at facebook anymore right, right but what oftentimes happens in many situations if a person's thinking about something let's say dogs or dog food um, one of the very common things they do is maybe they like browse on a dog food site, right? right? They do a search for dog food and, or they, you know, look something up on, on, on Facebook, like click on a dog food page or something. Right. And then oftentimes what ends up happening is all those signals end up being propagated through the ad tech system. So sometimes when people think that it's like a, a microphone or a video camera or something that captures a signal, it might be through something like a cookie plus retargeting plus like pixel that ends up actually delivering the ads to them instead of other sources. But, you know, like I said, I can't speak for any right. specific ad tech system uh, anymore, but um, that that's one of the things that sometimes throws people off a little bit. Right. No, and I, I mean, I agree 
from you know from cookies to pixels and everything in between and you know oh i clicked on so-and-so's um you know picture of their you know i, I totally agree with that it, i just yeah we're, we won't talk about facebook we, you're, you're no longer <laughs> facebook we're not gonna we're not gonna do that we're not gonna do that I just uh, yeah that that that's a whole other you know um so so what do you guys have coming up next like what 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 do you guys like what phase are you in what um what do you you know have coming over the next you know three months six months year what do you what do you guys have planned yeah. Um, for us, it's just making the experience for people better and better. So we did some amount of being able to find great deals for people and showing to them in the past. We just launched features for people to be able to tell us, you know, maybe I have a trip in mind. So um, Moonfish, don't just give me great deals. Give me a deal that is going to Europe or going to France, let's say May, June, May or June 2020. And really focus your system on finding me uh, a deal that fits that kind of fuzzy criteria, right? So we just launched that feature this past week. Um, and then in the next couple months, we're going to go deeper and deeper on the personalization side to make sure that when you get something, it feels really good. And that number one, it, it, it will ne hopefully never be a deal that you don't like, right? Yeah. So for example, Matt, if you don't like low-cost carriers, let's not send Matt low-cost carrier deals. Um, and second is to go up that, uh, that, that, that spectrum of making it feel better and better, more and more magical. Um, and being able to do things like, you know, hopefully build a travel profile to give us a sense of like what kind of places Matt wants to go, what kind of preferences he has for specific flights and using that all to do the personalization piece better and better. I love it. Um, you know, and, and what a great time to be doing that now because, um, because of so much noise online, um, people wanting to find the type of tool that say, look, this is what I want. <laughs> Stop giving me everything and bombarding me with everything. This is what I want, especially when it comes into travel, especially as travel continues to grow uh, in the amount of experiences people are having. It, it, it's uh, what what uh, this is kind of a abstract. No, like what's the global travel industry like now? What what uh, and how much how much money does it pull in? I know it's oh. the billion. Is it billions or trillions of this? <laughs> trillions. Yeah. Trillions, right? Yeah. It's like a, it's a fascinating time to be in travel because um, I think I saw on this, uh, this deck the other day that something like seven out of the last uh, seven, seven out of the 14 major travel unicorns or billion dollar companies were created in 2019. Wow. So travel is a, is a place that is like changing rapidly. Right. That's um, I think there's a big part of this where it's like consumer trends in terms of wanting to travel more and how they travel. Yes. Um, all of that's also like remaking how the industry works. For example, like one of the things I didn't realize until coming to the in industry is that there's like a, amongst millennials, there's like a bigger movement of like doing sustainable travel, yes. um, of making sure that, you know, you're not just going to the places and crowding out or like really damaging the places you visit. Which I think is really, really admirable and, and pretty amazing trend to have. Yeah, uh, we've seen things where people again like are traveling, traveling in a more flexible way, right? Where they travel with maybe less defined constraints on like when they want to travel, where they want to travel, what they do when they get there, and that's been pretty, pretty amazing to see. Um, obviously, like the sharing economy has changed how travel works with the rise of places like Airbnb. Um, so when you go to a place, you don't need to just stay at a hotel. You can stay at actually a local person's home, which is pretty amazing. Um, and then even the, the rise of like uh, these services that actually allow you to get paired up with local tour guides. 
So you can actually not only go and live with a local, but also experience the city with a local too. And I, I think that all of that's really, really cool. That's cool. That That's something I would actually be definitely down with. Um, yeah, you know, globalization at its finest, really. I, I think it's such a such an incredible time for all of that because now it's like, all right, how do we intertwine culturally, cross-culturally, um, yep. and have uh, more deepening experiences um, in those places and in, integrated within the culture, uh, you know, because we used to have to do that on our own if, if we wanted to. And then most people didn't know how, so they just like, oh, I'll just go do the touristy stuff. But we are becoming more like, no, I, I want to have a full, more immersion experience. So, um, you know, so now I, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, too, it's not, you know, related so much to travel as much as just in general. Uh, but I wanted to ask this, you know, based on your vast experience, why do you think companies have a hard time? Not all, of course, I don't want to generalize, but just, you know, a lot of companies have a hard time. Um competing from an unusual place like trying something new and trying something different and you know not adapting as new things come out and, and seeing how you can use how you can use that as an opportunity why do you think companies get stuck man that is a really really great question um i think it's it's uh, a couple different ways one is i think it is really hard to think in a uh, using an unusual method are to 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 think about something that is an unusual approach, if you will, right? So, for example, um, in a lot of companies, and even at Facebook, I saw some of this, which is you have a set way of doing things, and the assumption is you're just going to do things the way it's been done before because it's worked, right? Right. And then I think for us entrepreneurs, we can't do that nope. because the status quo for entrepreneurship is failure. Yep. Right. If you do the usual thing, the usual way, you should not be in entrepreneurship because you're probably going to fail. Um, so as an entrepreneur, you always have to think about how do I do unusual things and push out into like this, 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 I sometimes think about two by two quadrant, which is like, how do you do unusual things and how do you do things in an unusual way? Right? So the, the, it, the ways to think about this, you can do an unusual thing, the usual way, an unusual thing in an unusual way. A usual thing in an unusual way or the usual thing in a, in a usual way. And I know that's a tongue twister. Um, <laughs> I followed all of it. <laughs> that, you have to always be thinking about how to push out to these quadrants of like, how do you either do something that's like creative or even if it's you're not doing something that's creative, how do you do something that is like standard but just in a, in a creative way? Right. Um, is this sort of premise of it? And I've never found uh, a consistent way that companies or people actually do this, but there's a couple of different things that I do that have been super helpful. Um, for example, one of the things that I ended up doing at, at Facebook and I believe really, really deeply in is you have to think about how do you move faster, but not incrementally faster. And in most things, I believe you can do things 10 times faster than you otherwise would be able to. Yes. I so, mm -hmm. so there's like a, there's like a, a entrepreneurial hero of mine named Mike Cassidy. He started a company named Xfire. He started a company named Direct Hit. I think he sold Direct Hit for five hundred million dollars after five hundred days. Wow, Jesus! <laughs> if you think about how crazy that is, he generated like a million dollar of enterprise value for every single day he showed up for work. Wow. Um, and the way he did this is he basically shrank the product development process from twenty three to twenty seven months to like three four months. Wow. So something that would take someone two and a half years to build, he'd build in like four months. Um, 
So that's kind of like the approach that we took for, for product development, a lot of teams I was part of. And you do this by being relentlessly efficient in terms of like how you use your time. Like one of the things I did is like reorganize my entire schedule where I basically 14 times the amount of deep work I was able to do on a weekly basis. Yep. It's, um, it's an amazing, that was, that was super helpful. It's, it's an amazing thing. Um, you know, I, I, cause people have been asking me about that recently cause I, I did a, a full on audit of myself last year about how I'm using my time and what am I doing with my time? Um, uh, what times of the day am I at my highest peak producti productivity? I, I mean, everything, when I come off sleep, how's food affecting it? Everything. <laughs> and, it, and it's amazing that when you alter certain aspects of what you do with your time in a day, you can do significantly more in less time with clear strategic um, you know, vision and, and answers and, and everything. And, and it's just phenomenal. But, um, you know, thank you for sharing that too. And the, the reason I, you know, the reason I asked that is because you, you see a lot of people where a lot of companies where they're, they're stuck because, well, this is the way it's always been done and this is the way it's going to continue to work. And it's like, but is it a continuing to work or are you just kind of bleeding, you know, over time and B, you know, is there just fear? You're in a position where this is your identity within this company. And maybe it wasn't started at the time. And I'm going to get to a point because of, of a question I want to ask you because it wasn't started or it's not being led that way where if you make a mistake, you'll be let go. Or is there a fear in there of like you have to keep the status quo to keep the identity that you've, <laughs> that you've created for yourself and more importantly, the role that you have? Because it is frowned upon if you think outside the box and you guys try something and quote unquote doesn't work. In my opinion, everything works. People go, well, no, 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 this thing really didn't work. I'm like, no, you don't get it. If it didn't work, you're getting data and data tells you what to do next. So, yeah. so that's how I always look at something. I'm like, there is no failure. And they're like, there's failure. I'm like, listen, <laughs> that's just a societal term that they say you suck. I actually say, oh, this is amazing. People go, what are you talking about? I'm like, I have data. And the data now says go left. And then yeah. when I, we go left and we get more data, it says go right. And then that's how we get to where we're going faster. And I feel like, and my question to you is, as you guys are at the, the, you know, the, be, the beginning side of, of this company, um, will you raise a culture to think just like, you know, well, to operate just like you and your co-founder? Oh, absolutely. Right. And I, I actually think there's a safer way to do this, exactly to your point, because a lot of people can put themselves at risk at their jobs or even as an entrepreneur uh, if you try risky stuff. And that, that's why I think speed is so, so important. Um, so the way I've seen this work out is if you layer on hundreds and or thousands of speed hacks, right? Like, for example, I'm just t thinking off the top of my head, things I did at Facebook was like, was like batch process meetings, uh, yes. co-develop products with external partners, time shift schedule so you're not spent commuting in a car, using both a Windows and a Mac machine, Windows for PowerPoint Excel, Mac for coding, um, intermittent fasting. Yes. Um, <laughs> One joke I used to have with my team is I would add an, an additional monitor to my desk every year. Um, so using multiple monitors, using macros and scripts, um, all of these things end up making it such, such that you're much, much faster. So if you end up being able to do your work that you normally would do instead of in 100% of the time, in let's say 40 or 50% of the time, what you can do is you can carve out that remaining 50, 60% of the time maybe 20, 30% of the time can be spent on doing risky stuff that, you know, you don't have to replace quality in your day-to-day -day job to do. And then 20, 30% of that time could be spent on uh, improving the quality of your work. It can be spent on spending time with your friends and family on other stuff. But if you're able to get your speed up to such a point 
you're able to take risks without really putting yourself or your company or your product at risk. I, I couldn't agree more. I stumbled into that by accident because it, it, the, the, the higher I increased efficiency in other areas where it's like running, 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 running really, really well and it's easily trackable, I could do that in some of these additional time gaps that opened up. And if it didn't work, everything else over here is running very efficiently. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I stumbled on that. I didn't even realize that until I started actually – uh, quote unquote, learning to enjoy the process and actually get into the process and the details and, and, and love the details of everything. That's when everything changed. And, and you know, I, I think of it speed as the great de-risker, right? And then one of the things I, I know that other guests in your podcast have talked about before, but maintaining your body, your health, your spirituality is so important too, yes. right? Because, everything. you know, careers are endurance sports. They're like decade-long marathons broken down into sprints. So, if you want to maintain a 10x speed performance across decades, I think it's impossible if you don't take care of yourself, do things like, you know, avoid disease and injury, optimize your mental performance, your physical performance, your spiritual performance, being able to do things like there's a lot of great content in the biohacking community in terms of things you can actually do to make sure that you're always performing at like 100% or close to 100%. And I think that's a critical part of the formula too. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was uh, probably having Robin Sharma come on the podcast. He has that the 2020 formula at five from five, the 5 a.m. club from five to six. So it's uh, because it's a spiritual mindset, uh, your mental, your emotional, your um, uh, your your health mindset, all these things that, that I don't even really do, quote unquote, work, work until nine. So from five to nine is all about human optimization for my performance. <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. I try to wake up every day at five. I do reading. Um, I do some meditation. I yes. try to do some exercise in the morning. Yep. I do coffee. I just plan out my day. Yep. And it's like the best few hours of my day. It, it really is. And and it's interesting because people have asked, like, but don't you get nervous? I'm like, well, the nervousness is because you haven't slowed down yet. So first, get used to slowing down. I'm like, and then what starts to happen is by doing meditation and prayer and gratitude and movement and mobility and exercise and coffee and matcha and all these things that the moment nine o'clock and, you know, from like that nine till six or seven or whatever you want to do, you're actually able to optimize the performance because of like, you can answer things faster. You have greater vision, greater clarity, greater decision-making. So like everything is, is heightened versus, uh, what often happens, I had learned, and it's funny because when you think about it, it's not that hard to comprehend. What do most people do? They get up, they jump right into their, uh, you know, seven a.m. You know, they jump right into into the to the loop, and then they go to sleep at night, jumping right out of the loop to go to sleep. They get up, they jump right into the loop. So there's actually no um, setting and resetting to their day. And when they do that, it's it's amazing what what their productivity and their and their their output and their results are. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And then one other thing that I, I think about when we're talking about like unusual approaches that I think is becomes really important is um, uh, I know we didn't touch upon this yet, but I, I think we as entrepreneurs and founders, we have to build ourselves into learning machines, basically, yes. Um, yes. because you have to your your competitive advantage is your ideas. Right. And your ability to learn and adapt. And then, um, uh, you know, many years ago, I came up with this kind of like recursive algorithm for learning. Where it boils down to basically reading, which is the most self-directed way of learning, uh, conversations, which is the most um, efficient way of learning, uh, doing, which is the deepest way of learning, and synthesizing, which is a way that you can actually encode that learning into just like your mental models. And if you do it in that order, uh, and if you do it recursively, you can learn a ton. 
And I've always found that to be like a really, really important part of being able to sort of break out of the usual way of doing things and coming up with differentiated ideas. You know, it's so true. Uh, the further I got, I went down certain rabbit holes with, uh, with like tech and processes and stuff like that. And thinking about the uh, CX, you know, from like start from pre, during and post to like the entire, you know, processes, sales phones of you will, when I, once you get into further of the business processes, productivity and efficiency, it's funny how it actually, and you learn it, it's funny how much it actually also sh- uh, shifts your your own strategies, your own perceptions to business, your own perceptions to life, all these different things. The conversations change. I mean, you you, you can never stop learning. You, you really can't. George, this was incredible, man. <laughs> Thank you. I could probably it's been a pleasure. On my end too, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, so I, I, I say this to every guest that comes on the show. You're more than welcome to come back on anytime because it's a journey-driven podcast. And in your world, it's going to be growing by leaps and bounds probably at least once a month. <laughs> but but uh, you're, you're, you're welcome back on anytime, man. Uh, absolutely. Where, where can everybody find you online? You, Moonfish, everything. Sure. Uh, you can find me, uh, you can find Moonfish online just at moonfish.com. So you can you can look us look us up there. Um, believe it or not, I don't maintain a very active social presence, but I am on Twitter at uh, at George X Zeng, so Z E N G. So uh, yeah, definitely feel free to reach out. Excellent, I appreciate your time, George. This was incredible. Thank you for also shedding light on what's going on in the industry, how you are doing it differently, uh, in, in a very uh, beautiful you know taking something that was very usual. But you just took a whole new spin on it. And the, and the fact that you're just going very um, deep into the, the personalization aspect uh, at a time that I think is just uh, perfect timing, uh, at least that's uh, from my perspective, uh, grateful, truly grateful, man. Thank you. Sure. That sounds great. And uh, for everybody listening, please go check out uh, moonfish.com. Uh, you'll get everything that you can get for the information there. Um, they've got the freemium account. You can do all the other things uh, on there as well if you'd like. I, I thought the prices were phenomenal, by the way. <laughs> just for the amount of money, you'll save me off of like one deal. Uh, but that's, you know, that's just me thinking strategically. Uh, please, everybody go check out, um, you know, Moonfish. George Zhang was our guest. Uh, you can reach out to him. He gave you your information. You can also, you know, look him up on on LinkedIn and anywhere else. Uh, if you guys have any questions, just feel free to reach out to him. You can reach out to me. I'm happy to, to pass it on to him as well, too. Uh, for George Zhang, for myself, uh, for The Hustle Sold Separately, we are out.